All right. So would you mind introducing yourself for everybody? Of course. Uh, my name's Stephanie Baker, and I'm the owner of Ready to Grow Gardens. And it's an outdoor education company that I started in 2002 and have been growing it ever since. So, so tell me a little bit more about Ready Grow Gardens. Okay. Um, I guess it started with I took my master gardening certification in 2002. And so to get the certification, you do the volunteer hours. And I chose cylinder gardening. That was one of the options to get your hours. And I just I started with it at one school, and that was Sheridan Elementary in Cypher. The address is actually in Katy, but it's a Cypher school. And started there. And I think typically, I don't know what it is now, but back then it was typical to have just about 10 to 12 buckets. And it was those half buckets that they'd cut in half and then you would garden in that. And so I started and then I I don't remember the details of how, but I know we ended up with 70 buckets. So it was, was, we just took over this whole place (laughs) and it ended up that, that school year, I took something that was just volunteer that was only supposed to take, you know, I don't know how many hours I needed, but I ended up with a ridiculous number of hours because I was going there every day. And somewhere in the middle of that um, growing season, in the fall of 2002, I realized that this was super fun and um, the kids loved it and I was having a blast. And I was actually in the point right then of trying to figure out what I wanted to do as far as going back to work. I had sold advertising as my previous job before kids and now my kids were in school and I wanted to go back to work, but I wasn't sure what. So I started, the wheels started turning of, I wondered if I could, you know, turn this into something that would look like a job from volunteer. So I asked the principal and she had a science background, awesome principal, and she allowed me to just play with it and start a pilot program. So I started trying to develop curriculum and research curriculum. And there was obviously a ton of things to, to model after coming from California, but there really wasn't anything around here. And I just started playing with it, started more kids, more buckets, more gardening, and spending a lot of time there just testing out ideas and testing out what worked and what didn't, and using some of the curriculum from the master gardener, junior master gardener, use some of that. And then by the end of that school year, I realized that I really wanted to try to do this as a part-time job. So it was very part-time and not anything I would have never dreamed, didn't dream of what it's turned into. But at that time, it was just something that I could see was valuable, that was a lot of fun. The kids were getting a lot out of it. I was enjoying it. And it just took off from there, really, from that one school and the cylinder garden. got my certification, was done with that, and then kind of just started down that road of seeing if anybody would pay me to do this program. So when you started off with the buckets, right, you said you're supposed to have 10 or 12 buckets. Mm -hmm. What was the initial reaction when they came outside and saw that you had 70 buckets instead of 10? (laughs) They were excited. Yeah, the kids were excited. And at that time, that school was kind of butted up to a field. So we had some drama that first season, too, because I wasn't used to gardening with rabbits and deer and And so we had um, at Thanksgiving, everybody left for Thanksgiving and we came back and pretty much the whole garden was gone. It had all been chewed up. So that was dramatic. And um, yeah, so we all were sad about that, but we learned and I actually got a fence company to donate a fence after that. And we put up a chain link fence around it. So we solved the problem and continued gardening, but it's amazing. It's just like kind of the concept. It always reminds me of when you have little kids and you can have a big fancy toy or they'll have just as much fun in the cardboard box that the toy came in. So it doesn't really matter with kids. We just had the cylinder gardens and they, we, you can grow a lot in a little bucket. I see all the things you do, obviously, and it doesn't matter the container you can grow. You can grow things. I know all about kids having fun with the, uh, the cardboard box versus the toy (laughs) that always happens here at my house. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how were you first introduced to gardening? Have you always gardened your whole life? Not really. I know I dabbled in it when my kids were little, but just I wasn't, you know, I, I don't even think I grew much food when my kids were little. Unfortunately, I wish I would have, but I had flower gardens and things like that. But when I was a child, my mom gardened. So I saw her gardening and I still to this day, that smell of a tomato leaf or just that smell of tomatoes reminds me of being a kid and mint because she already just grew mint for her tea. My mom did the same thing. Yeah. So 
That's cool. Tomatoes and mint. That's what reminds me of being a little girl. So yeah, I, I just saw my mom garden when I was little, not in any huge way, but enough to make it stick and get it into my brain and know that I loved it. And I was always that outdoor kid. So I was always the one playing with bugs and <laughs> outside. So that part of it, that was me. So the part, the fact now that I do that every day is I get just as excited watching monarchs, you know, in the garden as the kids do. So, yeah. Are you originally from Houston? I was born in St. Louis. St. Louis, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we moved here when I was seven. So pretty much grew up in um, Inwood Forest area. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So you say you started ready to grow gardens in 2002. How quickly did it catch on or spread? The first year it was just, well, the first year it was the Sheridan Elementary. And then my daughter was at another cipher school. And I told that principal, Cindy O'Brien, and she was awesome. And she said, well, I want you to do that here. So she didn't even hesitate. And she invited me to come build a garden at Sampson Elementary. And I think it's just, it, it started off word of mouth. So then the third school was um, another sci-fair school. And it was, I wasn't trying necessarily to grow the program, but one principal would talk to another. And it just, it was very slow in the beginning because it was part-time and I was married at the time and it was just a part-time, you know, thing that I did. And, and then it just slowly took off one school at a time over the years. The first, probably the first six or seven years, it was just me doing a school here and there. And I would go, I think every other week, just like I do now. And then around year eight or nine is when I hit that tipping point where I couldn't do it anymore by myself. And so I had a mom that actually had her kids come through the gardening program at Sampson. And I asked her if she wanted to be a garden teacher too. So she said, yes. So she started helping me and there was a tipping point. It was like 2000 was actually right when I was going through a divorce and I had to make the decision. Can I actually, you know, support myself unexpectedly? Can I support myself and do this as a job where I can live off of this? Cause it was always just kind of here and there. And that year, three schools unexpectedly reached out to me and said they wanted to start. So that was kind of my sign that I can do this. Then it became more of a, yeah. That's kind of how things usually work out. I feel like you, when you have no choice but to succeed, that's when yes. the success comes. That's right. That's right. So nice. So how many schools are you at now? This year, because of, you know, everything that happened last spring, we were at 30 schools. And this year, uh, we had a few drop off. I have three preschools that we work with that are super fun with the little bitty ones. And they dropped off just because of rules, not letting somebody from the outside come in with the little bitty kids. And then we lost two other schools. So active schools this year, we had 25. Wow. (laughs) And it was, you know, we had to navigate. I had to learn, you know, you are so awesome at doing all your YouTube videos. I had to learn that real quick and put together virtual lessons. So we weren't really sure how it was going to work out a lot. Well, not a lot. We were probably about half and half this year where half of our schools were virtual only. So we were, thankfully, I have a wonderful team right now. This year we had two teachers and that worked with me and they were amazing. So we divided up the work. One teacher was writing the lesson plans so that we could give those to teachers that were virtual only. And then I have another teacher that is amazing at putting together Google Decks and a lot of the virtual lesson material to build that. And then we were making videos and I would make the lesson video and we'd add that to the Google Deck. So we had a lot of extra work just trying to keep up with, you know, everything the teachers were doing, just try to support the kids that were at home and support the kids that were in class. So this year was different, obviously, but I was super happy to see how many schools didn't quickly let the garden go. Like they realized the value of, oh my gosh, we have a garden. We can send teachers outside. We can, I think it just really opened a lot of eyes for people that love the garden, but didn't, it just took on a new light this year with everything that everybody's been going through. Okay. So. What curriculum do the kids enjoy the most? I was thinking about that and the probably the anything that's anything that's hands-on, obviously. So there's some things that they can do more than others, but definitely I'm sure you've seen this with your kids. Root crop 
tips are always popular because it's a big surprise. So anything that you can pull out of the ground and you aren't really sure what it's going to look like, root crops are super valuable, which is great because that's what we can grow, you know, grow so well here in the fall is all those great root crops and into the winter. So carrots are popular, potatoes and the, we like to harvest the sweet potatoes. So we do sweet potatoes too. So digging those up in the fall, planting the root crops, anything with monarch butterflies, anything with worms. Kind of what I figured with the worms, especially. Yes. Okay. Any amount of digging they can do. It's surprising how many kids, and I remember when my kids were little, purposely digging up a patch of grass because I live in a suburban neighborhood and (laughs) digging out the grass just so that there was dirt that they could dig in. Like we didn't have a raised bed, but how many kids just have never taken a hand shovel and just dug in the dirt and they, you can just give them a shovel and let them dig and they have a blast. So time of their life. Yeah. Or So now that you have 25 active schools, I know you mentioned the first ones were out in the sci fair area. Are you still kind of concentrated in that area or are you spread out? We've definitely grown faster in Sci-Fair, but now we're in four school districts. So we have three schools out in Montgomery ISD. We have one in Spring Branch and then one HISD school. HISD? Mm Mm-hmm. Where do you, uh, which school are you at at HISD? Oak Forest. Oak Forest. Forest That's a great school. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me that you're there. This was our second full year and they have a lot of gardens. I actually, which was they're so on board now. The PTA is awesome, but they had over 30 gardens when I started. And so my first consultation was, you know, and they weren't obviously keeping up with all that. And so my first recommendation was we need to downsize because it was too much. It was too much. So we took some beds out actually, because then we can concentrate. Now we have 12 really big beds, plus they have an arboretum, plus they have a butterfly garden. So there's plenty of growing space, but now it's manageable. So what they tried to do, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's, I understand the reasoning behind it, but I've seen it done before and I've not seen it done well anywhere. It would take a huge amount of work, but they wanted to have a bed for each class or a bed for each teacher. Yes. But it was really, you know, after I got in there and started talking to teachers, you know, if you're not a teacher that knows gardening or likes gardening, and then you're you know, bestowed with a garden that you didn't ask for. (laughs) It's a problem, you know, and then the teacher next to you is a gardener and hers is growing beautiful things in your gardens, you know, not growing anything. It just, it caused a lot of tension and didn't go so well. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. I think it it probably takes a lot of buy-in from the teachers, right? Yes. If they're not willing to put in the time, then I could see that garden just sitting there and becoming overgrown. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why our program works, and of course, I'm biased, I get that. There's a lot of great ways. And I love seeing schools with gardens, no matter how, you know, I love just seeing it happening. It's not like I'm the only way. But I think that from what I've seen and what I've been told, the reason why what we do works so well is that the teachers can enjoy it. They have a lot going on. They have a lot on their plate, especially even before this year, just teachers have a lot of responsibilities already. So to ask them then to become a gardener and grow food successfully and tie in the curriculum, it's just one more thing on their plate. So the reason why what we do is so well-received is that we send garden educators in to teach the curriculum. So we come in with the curriculum, we manage the garden. Nobody has to worry about what to grow or what's that bug or when do we harvest? And, you know, all of those questions that you would have, they come out with their class, they get to enjoy it. And then they get to learn. And that's what we love too, is when teachers say, you know, now I want to start a garden at home. And so they get excited and they enjoy it. It's not something that's a burden to them. It's something that they can, you know, learn along with their kids. And then, you know, some of them go in to their classroom and then expand it and do even more. And that's great. But the program's good and beneficial to the kids, whether or not the teacher, you know, is a gardener. Okay. So. Do you change the curriculum that you present depending on the school that you're at? We tweak it a bit. And I learned that early on. I love when teachers give me feedback. So very early, I think I didn't give that, I didn't appreciate that as much. So if I'm at a school you know, different demographics and different life experiences. And I had a teacher be very honest with me very early on. And she, I was rambling on about cauliflower and she let me know later. She said, you know, my kids don't know what that is. They don't know what you're talking about. 
And so then I realized, you know, that's just not a food that they were eating at home. That was not a word they were familiar with. And so I was just, you know, I wasn't appreciating what their life experience was and what their foods that were traditional in their home. And I kind of rethought how I did that. So now whenever we first teach in the fall, whenever we talk about what we're planting, we bring that. So if we're going to plant cauliflower, even though it's just a little three inch seedling, I have a head of cauliflower from the store. And I say, this is cauliflower. This is what we're going to grow. This is the end result. And this is the little bitty seedling that we're planting today. And so they can kind of connect those two of what it is they're going to grow and not just say the word because, you know, if they, if they don't know what that word is, it's not really helpful. So I, that's a big thing. That was a big eye opener. Makes a lot, a lot better connection for the kids if you have the, the food there when you're planting it. Right. No, I, I definitely can see that. And that makes perfect sense. So what is the process to getting ready to grow gardens, I guess, into a school? How does that happen? We go out and meet with the school first. So two scenarios, either they have a garden or they don't. And if they have a garden, then we go evaluate and I look at it and decide. Usually it always needs something done with the soil. So no surprise there. So we usually look at the soil, look at the beds, make a decision about, you know, what are their goals? What does the school want? And then I just do some consulting as far as what I would recommend. And if a garden needs to be renovated, then that's like a separate you know, project. And then our teaching program, our education program is kind of set. So then they just pick how many days they want. So if they want us to come in for teaching, I don't think I've ever had a school just want me to come renovate their garden. It usually is coupled with the education program with, we call it garden day. So garden day is when we come with a teacher or if it's just virtual, like some of our schools were this year, then, then it would be the virtual program. But next year we're done with that. We're all in person next year. So yeah, that's, it's just a part of getting the garden up to speed on what does it need to get it growing. And then here's what the options are for garden day and they choose what grade level. So we work with any grade, kindergarten through fifth. If they ask me, I prefer second through fifth. If I have to pick, I would love to be plenty of schools where we do kindergarten through fifth and we teach all the grades. But if they narrow it down and, and we have to pick, then, you know, just the maturity of the kids, I think probably starts at second grade where they can, you know, there's nothing more fun than, you know, trying to teach and then a bee flies by and you lose the whole <laughs> class because then it's all about the bee. But for a school that's paying for a program, then it's, you know, second through fifth is a good as far as keeping it tied to curriculum. And that's another thing about what we do is I know there's a lot of programs that are focused on nutrition, which is awesome. There's a lot of foods, uh, schools that are focused on, you know, just the well-being and experience of gardening. Love that too. But I think why our program took off the way it did is that there was a period of time in the evolution of, you know, watching this kind of happen that there was a big focus on, you know, it was a big no-no to have kids disrupted or disruption in school. You know, it was, we had field trips and then there was a chunk of time. I can't remember what years it was where it was all called a disruption or interruption. Okay. And that was a big no-no. So I think what I did was see that and then make sure that nobody ever thought gardening was an interruption. It was always tied back to the science curriculum. So the principals felt good about it. The teachers felt good about it. Of course, I'm out there with the total goal of getting kids connected to the earth and to the food and to experiencing bugs and all of that. So my goals, you know, underlying goals were just getting kids exposed to food and the earth and all of that. But the outward presentation and what we were doing is teaching science curriculum. So all the good stuff comes, even if you're teaching science, all the other good things are still happening too. So. You mentioned earlier the curriculum. You write your own curriculum for the for your program? Yes. How hard was it to develop the curriculum for the program? Like how many years have you spent tweaking it right before <laughs> you got it perfect? And I still tweak it. That okay. is a problem because I've had people tell me like out friends or you know people that I meet that are kind of in the same industry and I've had people advise me, you know, you should, you know, stick to the same thing. Quit reinventing it. But I think that's, I don't know if I'm capable of that because every time I see, if I write a lesson and I see that there's questions or 
it didn't really connect to a child the way I wanted it to, then I go back and change it. So I'm always changing just based on what I see works and what works well with them. But I did a lot of research in the beginning, just seeing what was being, like I said, California was light years ahead of us. My biggest fear when I started was that I was going to get shut down because, you know, somebody might eat something from the garden because it just felt like, you know, everything I was doing and the principles were approving of it, but I just felt like maybe it was a little too, it did. It felt very out there, which sounds crazy now because, you know, it is a thing to have gardening in schools, but Back then, I think I was just worried that somebody was going to, you know, find a reason that that wasn't okay or, you know, so I did a lot of research, used, pulled from a lot of different places, and then just started testing it and seeing what worked well. And then also looking at the curriculum from schools. So always trying to look back at what the science objectives were for the teachers so that I could tie it back to that. Ah, I see. I get it. I get it. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Do you think that your program will help create more farmers down the line? Or maybe not even just farmers, maybe even just gardeners, farmers, more people interested and involved in agriculture? I hope so. I hope those, I've met those kids that go home and tell their family. I've met those parents that have said, you know, my child asked for Christmas. I've had it. I love it too. When they ask for a garden for Christmas, like that's what they've asked their parents for. So there's nothing better than that. That's super cool to hear things like that. But yeah, I think that it just, it's like what you see with your kids and people that have kids with gardening to make that connection of where their food comes from. It's just a great life skill. And I do think it's great to introduce to kids that this can be your job, that this can be something. And this is something that farmers on a huge scale, how important farmers are to us and agriculture itself. But you know, whether that's on a huge scale or just a small backyard scale, just the sustainability of it, that they can grow food that they eat. So. So do you think that with everything that happened in this past spring, that people will be not that they're not already receptive, but do you think that this past spring will kind of help push you again and make more people interested in bringing this whole gardening program and curriculum to their school? I think it has. I think that it was just that nudge. Two schools this year added, and then we've got three so far that are starting with this in the fall. And I think people that maybe were on the fence or people that, you know, thought it was a nice idea, but didn't have the extra motivation. I definitely think what we've all been through has been maybe that extra nudge to push them forward to it. You know, just a simple fact of being needing to be outside or having extra space when schools are so tight on trying to spread people out that there's an entire outdoor area that you could use as a classroom. So I think it's just reinventing. And honestly, so we're across all different. I didn't used to be into social media, but that has been huge for my company is being on Twitter because that is a way that especially SciFair, but even all the districts, they, in a good way, they showcase what they're doing at their school. That's what they do is they like to showcase what their campus is up to. And so when I jump in there and I'm showing kids in the garden, like it's not hard to get great photos of kids (laughs) pulling out carrots. That's a pretty great picture. So being able to show what's happening at the schools and then it just gets in front of more and more people. So that's been a good way to, to get people realizing that that's a thing. I think a lot of people, you know, didn't realize that was even an option. Why do you think that, and I know you started in SciFair, but why do you think that you have more schools in SciFair versus other areas? I think probably it's just a function of, well, I don't know. I think, like I said, I think a lot of people don't realize that it's a thing. You know, there's a company like mine that would come out and build a garden and teach kids in the garden. And I've just been able to keep up with what I can keep up with. So I haven't done, as I grow, it's when people call me, which I'm very thankful that it's it's gone that way, but I haven't reached out. The biggest way that I grow is, it's amazing. There are teachers that were teachers at Sheridan. There's one I'm thinking in particular, I have a wonderful picture of her as a science teacher holding a little plant, a monarch milkweed plant, and the monarch was the caterpillar was in a J and becoming the pupa 
as she held the plant and <laughs> the look on her face is priceless. And she's now a principal. Okay. So after almost 20 years of doing this, teachers are now principals. And so then they invite me to bring Garden Day to their campus. So, and then the way I got to Montgomery ISD is that there's an incredible principal, Dr. Bartlett, that was at a Cypher school and she moved to Montgomery. So I've mostly grown by teachers becoming principals or moving to a different school and then they invite us to come. So we got to get you in more schools in HISD because my kids are going to go to school in HISD and I need ready to grow gardens to be at their school. Well, that sounds awesome. And I'm sure, yeah, let me know. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if I have any pull or I can make that happen, but wherever they go to school, I'm mentioning your name. <laughs> okay. Well, and they've got you. So you, you've got the how to build a garden, that part down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot of schools, which I don't even know. I've driven past a few of them in Cypher. I mean, in um, HISD when I at Oak Forest and it just, oh, I wish there were more hours in the day and more. I'm actually hiring two new teachers. So that's one thing I've got to find two new garden teachers to join my team for this coming year, just to keep up because of the new schools adding. But it's very common for schools to have a garden and it just be forgotten and by the wayside and full of weeds. I, and, I uh, know all about that. I see that all the time. Yeah. And it really bothers me because I don't understand. In my mind, they want a they wanted the garden to begin with. Right. right. And then they have the garden. But it's almost as if I don't know, it's like they're not willing to even take the first step and try to grow something. It's like you have to go and. Yeah. I don't want to say it might sound bad, but whatever. It's like you have to go and hold their hand to do it. And it's like, yes, but if you wanted the garden and you were into it, why are you like what happened to that motivation and that drive? And when I first started, honestly, that's what I was seeing. And that's what kind of made the light bulb go off that it would be an actual it could be an actual company because. I kept hearing that story over and over that there was a teacher and she was great and she loved gardening and she built us a garden and then she had a baby and she left or then she retired. And so as soon as that one person leaves, the whole thing fell apart. Right. And so I was like, well, then there needs to be, you know, just like you would hire anybody else to come in and that's their expertise. Don't try to figure it out. I mean, if you have somebody at your school and it's working, then fabulous, whatever works for you, but don't let the whole thing fall apart when that person leaves, you know, seek out how to make it work. But I know, you know, this too, just from all the awesome work you're doing is that to me, there's a million things I don't know anything about, like, you know, learning how to put on the, you know, anything technology <laughs> too hard, but there's a lot of people that things that just seem so normal to me are just not. And yes. there's over 20 years, the stories of just things that will just as a gardener, just, I was thinking about one earlier that just some miscommunication on something that's so simple. One short little story is that I had a a school that had a garden. We've been gardening along great. The principal that was there left, new principal came in, huge garden. One of my favorite photos still is from this garden where these two girls holding these huge bundles of carrots. And they were both about 60 feet long. So two, three feet by 60 feet beds. And just like we do, we spent years adding every year, add compost, add compost. And so the soil was just like gold. It was beautiful growing these giant zucchini and these huge carrots. And, but I could never get anybody to help. When we come in, when our garden teachers come in, we at most usually come twice a month. So every other week we're there and we maintain and tend the garden while we're there. But if it's a giant garden, there's only so much you can do. Right you know, for two hours, you know, if you're there with the kids, you're working two days a month, it's still, sometimes if it's a big garden, it's not enough. So I could never get anybody to help. So there were weeds, there were weeds, and then we were still growing great great food, but there was a lot of weeds. So an outside church came in and wanted to help, but nobody asked me, nobody asked me anything. And what they decided was they were going to move the garden, like, I don't know, hundred yards down, because I don't know why. I found out after the fact, I got a phone call. We moved the garden. The church helped us build a new garden. And my first question, and I remember like it was yesterday, and this was like 10 years ago, is I was like, what did you do with the soil? And the guy said, oh, we took it to the dump. You threw the dirt away? Yeah, they threw the dirt away because they thought new soil was better. (laughs) And I literally... I cried. Like I cried about the soil. I cried. 
And they thought I was this crazy lady. Like I was so upset. And of course I, you know, held it together, but yeah, they took the soil to the dump. Yeah. That makes, it's like you put all the time and the effort into the soil and I understand how some people new to gardening will think going and buying bag soil is better, but but there was nothing wrong with that soil. Yeah. So I think there's just a disconnect on a lot of things. And so having an, an expert come in and, you know, be the consultant or the coach that will, you know, teach you and explain to you, this is why you don't throw soil away. Yeah. Man, that's that kind of hurt. That hurt me listening to that. Yeah, it was painful. And no surprise, that school, the garden is completely gone now. They just never really got it. It's so sad. But when I drive past there now, it's just grass. They just totally. So, you know, it has to, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to, you know, at the root of it, understanding why you're, why you're having a garden at school. Right. But you know, if you don't know, seeking out people that do know so they can help you make it successful because there's so much you can do and it's really not that hard. No, I, I get it. So we need to find a way to clone you so that we can have more of you and you can go everywhere in the city. I'm looking for teachers. And I, like I said, the two teachers I had this year were amazing. And I've had awesome teachers in the past, but I used to be more fearful. Now I'm I'm very encouraged by finding what I what I'm looking for is a, a certified classroom teacher. So they have that classroom management and that understanding of curriculum and how to run classrooms, but then also a gardener. And so I'm that's what I'm looking for. I'm thinking I can reach out to maybe teachers that are newly retired, but they're not ready to stop working. They're just done with being in the classroom full time. So I think that would be a good fit. Do they have to know how to garden already? I've tried both, <laughs> Tim. I've tried both. I've hired people in the past that are teachers and not gardeners, okay. and I've hired gardeners that aren't teachers. And I think both are possible. Ideally, I would like a teacher that's a gardener. Right. But I think the more likely scenario that would work the best is a gardener that is a child type person, you know, like whether it's Sunday school you taught or Girl Scouts or whatever. There's people, you know, if you're good with kids and you know, and you love kids and you're good at communicating with them and getting their attention and holding their attention, I think, because to be honest, I don't have a teaching degree. There you go. Uh, Okay. I'm not a certified teacher. I have a business degree. Okay. So I think, yeah, the certified teacher part is probably the part I would let go of before the gardener. I've tried you know, explaining from gardening. And it's just a lot. I think to send somebody out as the expert and not have them be somebody with gardening experience is not ideal. All right. So you mentioned that you work with K through fifth grade, correct? Right. So my question is, why do you not work with sixth through 12th grade? And the answer is I have not been asked yet. (laughs) Ah, but you would if the opportunity presented itself. Okay. I think I would. Yeah. I would. And we do have preschool. I've worked with preschool too. So there's three preschools that we currently aren't teaching their kids, but I'm hoping to get back in the fall with them because the preschool kids are super fun. And like middle school would be awesome. I just truly have not been asked yet. Right. Do you think that, um, I guess out of the uh, elementary versus middle school versus high school, which I don't know, segment of kids do you think would be the most open and receptive? I think elementary would probably still be my favorite. Okay. And, you know, before I even started my company, I had something else pop in my head. In Fair, they do something called nature trails where you go out to a place that's dedicated just for nature study and they connect science. And it was when my son, I think was in fifth grade, and I was leading one of the stations for nature camp and they were fifth grade. And the kids came around to my station. I had found this giant spider web, this big orb spider. And it wasn't part of what I was supposed to be teaching at that station. But each group would come up. I would bring them over to show them the spider web. And I remember how eye-opening it was, how many kids at that age, you know, fifth grade is kind of a tricky age, but that they are their first reaction just want to knock it down or to try to, you know, be goofy and knock it down. And I was like, look, look at, you know, wanting them to appreciate it. And I think at that point, I realized too, that you kind of have to catch them earlier than that. I think 
to get them young and catch them early to be in awe of the spider web instead of goofing around wanting to knock it down. I think that's a thing to catch them early. That makes sense. I could see kids getting to middle school and kind of you ask them to plant some seeds in the bed and they throw the seeds in the grass thinking it's funny. Right. Uh, or even even breaking a branch or something on a tomato. OK, that makes sense. I get it. And I'm totally guessing, but I just. Right. Yeah, I think catching them early and then they get that really, you know, that ownership of it. That's another thing about gardening is that I've seen it done where if there are parents out there planting or parents are tending the garden and then you just bring the kids to look at it, doesn't work. Not not good. They have to actually feel the ownership of it. They have to plant the seeds. They have to pull the weeds. They have to get to harvest. So when they really feel like it's their garden because they're doing the work, then it works. If it's just something to come look at, they don't, it doesn't matter. They don't, if some mom planted it, it's just not the same. That makes sense. I can see that. Do you have more skin in the game or it's, it's, it's more yours? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. That's cool. I didn't think about it like that. All right. So do you have a garden at your house? I do. You do? Let's talk about that. Let me hear about your garden. It's a hot mess right now. <laughs> <laughs> All this rain. Yes, I know. Wow. I know a lot of my tomatoes that I didn't have them tied up and supported properly. A lot of them flopped over. So I have some work to do out there myself. Yeah, no, I have I have a half acre. I live in Tomball. Okay. So I've got plenty of space, but I learned quickly with a septic. I didn't want gray water. So I'm trying to navigate around, you know, plugging up one of my septic things so I don't have to worry about that water and when I first bought that house, I was super excited because I thought I had workable half acre of space, but I still, I'm sure there's a way to, I haven't researched it enough, but then I got chickens and then I got goats. So I have it sectioned off. I have a, a goat side and I have chickens free ranging. And then I have probably, I don't know, maybe a quarter of my yard, a quarter of my backyard is untouched by any animals so that I can actually grow things. And I have just various raised beds, nothing fancy. I've got some really nice, you know, raised beds that are cedar and tin now, but I also garden with just wood raised bed. I have pots, I have whiskey barrels, I have everything. Everything. It's just a complete garden. Yeah. I like that. Any place I can put a new plant. (laughs) Okay. How many goats do you have? I have two. What made you want to get goats? I found a farm on Instagram, (laughs) decided that looked like a lot of fun. Okay. I actually flew to Florida and bought my goats from Florida and drove them back in a rental car. What's it like driving across the country with goats? It was it was an experience. <laughs> yeah. That was two years ago this weekend. Oh, really? So they're two years old now. Well, happy birthday to your goats. Yeah. Yeah. Boys or girls? One of each. One of each. Okay. Yes. But they actually are not brother and sister. Fallen Oak Farm is the farm that I found on Instagram, and they're awesome. And they weren't sure if the mama goat was going to have twins or not. Typically, they did, but she just had one, and you have to have two goats because they need a friend. So she found a farm down the road that had a month different female. So I got... I didn't know you had to have two goats. Yeah. They'll get sad and depressed and lonely if (laughs) if they're alone. So you have to have two. And I want to have... I want my female, I need to find somebody to breed her with, but I want to have a baby, but I aspire to find a bigger piece of land and I want to have a real farm. So once I get some more space. How big are you thinking? How much land do you want? I would love 20 acres. I wasn't expecting you to say 20. Like I was thinking you were going to say five at the most, but 20 acres. Okay. Yeah. What would you do with 20 acres? Oh, lots more animals. Yeah. I need a cow. I need a pig. I need more farmland. Yeah. Would you get ducks? Yeah. When I have space. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. How many chickens do you have now? I have the, I think there's 17. Okay. But I'm letting, one of my hens is currently sitting on 10 eggs because we're also doing nature camp. So that's one thing we haven't talked about yet is we did it in 2018 and 19 in the summer. We do an, a summer camp. It's very small. It's super fun. Last year, we didn't do it for obvious reasons. And so we're doing nature camp again. And I thought it would be fun if we have some baby chicks. So one of my hens 
was getting broody and wanted to sit on her egg. So okay. I'm letting her do that. Tell me more about Nature Camp. Nature Camp is in Cyprus and it's at the on the grounds of Sci Hope, which is a wonderful, they do a lot of outreach in the Cyprus area, a lot of work with schools. They have a counseling center. They do a lot of really great work. I don't even know how to go into all they do. They do so much. So Sci Hope on their grounds, they have a pond and woods and a trail and this giant log cabin, which is perfect for anything you have to do inside for nature camp. It's just a beautiful, shady, wooded area. And they rent out parts of their facility for meetings or groups or events. And so that's where we're going to have nature camp. And it'll be from 8.30 to 2.30 for kids 4 to 12. The four-year-olds are just going to come till noon. Okay. And we just do all the fun nature things. We take a hike. We scoop up pond water and find tadpoles. And we set up aquariums where they can. That's the most fun is when they go on a walk around the pond. They collect sticks and rocks and bugs and roly polies and and then they bring it back and put it in their aquarium and they through the week they build up this habitat and we do nature crafts and we do gardening we're going to teach them how to garden we're going to make pickles learn how to make refrigerator pickles so yeah it's a lot of the things that we can't do during the school year because if you have a whole grade level and there's 200 kids you just you know that's another thing we did talk about. So when I go to a school, it's only 30 minutes per class. So there's only so much you can do. Most of our schools are so big that if there's eight homerooms coming out, you know, we have between 30 and 45 minutes with each group. So it kind of limits, you know, what you can accomplish in with each group. But with Nature Camp, we've got them all day. So when you go to a school, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to Nature Camp. But yeah, so when you go to the school... You're there for all eight of the homeroom classes, 30 minutes each? Yes. Okay. And then, so we're there, garden teachers there all day. And then when they go to lunch recess, we take our break. When they go to whatever their large group is or specials, whatever they call it at that school, then we do our gardening maintenance work that the kids are not a part of. When they hire us, the teacher's there all day and we manage the garden and the kids come out one class at a time with their teacher. We try to get as much time as we can. So we take the full day and we cut it into however many sections we need. If there's, you know, we've had schools where there's 10 homerooms. Well, then that means less time per class. And if it's a really small school and there's only six homerooms, well, then we get maybe 45, 50 minutes per group. Is there a sweet spot where you you find like the kids, they listen for X amount of minutes and then they start to kind of fade out a little bit? I've never had too much time because it's never more than 45 or 50 minutes at the most, but 45 minutes is great because ideally you have to spend 10 or 15 minutes explaining, you know, what the lesson is or what the point of what that activity is going to be. So if you talk for 10 or 15 minutes teaching, but then you have a full 30 minutes to do hands-on and work and explain, there's so much value in just letting kids roam around a garden. Like there's not enough I sometimes, even as long as I've been doing this, forget the value in just stop talking and don't even give them a task. Just let them explore and see what they find. And that's huge. So I love to do that. Yeah. When we have time to do that, that's the best, you know, and then as each class comes out, you know, if there's a monarch caterpillar, then they each think that they're the ones that discovered it. (laughs) And, you know, then you have to play along and be surprised every time they find it. But yeah, there's... A lot of excitement when you just let them go. So we're going to switch back to your house. What are some of your favorite things to grow in your garden? I love broccoli. Broccoli? I think double reason. I love to eat broccoli. And it's one of those things like once you grow certain foods and realize what it tastes like when you grow it as opposed to buying it. So I just love the flavor of homegrown broccoli. And I just remember as a new gardener, not even realizing how it grew and what it looked like and just watching it grow. I just love broccoli. Okay. You know, right now my garden's pretty much all tomatoes. I have one cucumber plant, but I have some peppers, but it's pretty much all about tomatoes right now. Yeah. But then I don't, I don't hang on to them super long. I don't, I don't do fall tomatoes because there's so many fall crops that I love. So I love growing the, all the greens, lettuces and spinaches and kale, all that. Okay. I think you're the first one that I saw growing the dino kale. And so I hopped on that after I watched you. And now that's amazing. Yeah. I love the dino kale. 
the freeze that came through and what was that February or so or March? Yeah, it killed all of the dino kale that I had, but I had had a certain dino kale in my yard for probably two years. Isn't that amazing? I have a buddy. I gave him a uh, a dino kale plant, and I think he had it four or five years, and he may even still have it. Wow. It's, I don't know how tall it is. He's got a three foot tall raised bed, so it's probably another three and a half feet tall. It's great. Yeah. And that's what I remember seeing you talk about how it was because I'm used to kale just being a fall winter crop. And then I saw you showing how it was growing in the summer. It's like, I had no idea you could grow kale in our part of Texas in the summer. Yeah, it slows down. I know, you know, now it slows down. But um, as long as I get it in in the fall and it has time to establish the roots, it's good all year long. And just like you showed too, if you give it, if you give it a little shade, like I had never thought about growing lettuce under my tomatoes until I saw you doing that. I just thought couldn't grow lettuce. But there's a lot of things that you can, once you try it out and play around with it, you can still grow it. Yeah, I don't really follow a lot of the rules that people say don't grow this at this time. Like I just try to find a way to do it. I remember people telling me I couldn't grow carrots in the summer and I still find ways to grow carrots all year round here. Yeah. And that's one thing I've not tried. I need to, I need to try that. So my trick for anybody who's listening, I'm no, listening. <laughs> I, no I, I seed the bed with carrots and then I have some old burlap sacks and I'll soak them in water and then I'll take the burlap sack and put it on top of where I seeded the carrots. Yeah. And I'll just leave that sack there. And How it, long? Like a week and a half, depending on what time of the summer is, it can be a week to three weeks anywhere yeah. in that time. And then I'll have some good size seedlings underneath it. Right. And I just pick it up. And sometimes, depending if it's like July, I'll, I'll um, take some bamboo stakes and stick them in the ground and then put that burlap over it to kind of create a shade tent. It's a lot of extra work, as you can hear. But, <laughs> so. but that'll work even in the fall, because when we start back at school, and we're trying to seed carrots even in late September. It's hot. Yes. It's still hot. And then, you know, it's hard. That's another thing. You know, probably the biggest challenge with school gardens is explaining watering. And so in the fall, everybody's starting school back and you're explaining, okay, you need to water twice a day. That doesn't go over very well. But when you're trying to get those little seeds up, you have to water pretty. I mean, to be successful, if you can water in the morning and then late day, but that burlap idea, that would work because that would you know, help keep the ground moist. So those little bitty seeds are so hard to get up when it's hot. Yep. I learned that trick from a buddy of mine way up in Northern California. I used to see him do that and it would be hundred plus degrees in the summertime and he would just have rows covered with burlap. So I took that and I try to act like Do you like use the burlap to make the tent too, to make the shade? Yes. Okay. That same piece? Yes. Oh, I... I left the part out. So I cut the burlap sack in half so that it's longer. Okay. He did not. That was my own variation to it. He kept the burlap together so that it would be thicker and keep the ground cooler. But I cut it in half so that I can spread it and it becomes a longer shade cloth. Okay. Could probably combine both of them, but I mean. I like it. It gets to be in a lot of work. (laughs) So you said broccoli was one of your favorite things to grow. Do you have a favorite variety of broccoli? I like Pac-Man. Pac-Man, okay. Mm-hmm, I do. Do you have any tips, your secret tip for growing great broccoli heads? Not really. I mean, that Pac-Man just grows. I don't you, I don't really do anything. I always, just like with everything else, the leaves that are touching the soil, I always, you know, keep those, keep everything off the soil. I do that. But other than that, fertilize, I use MicroLife, so you know, keeping, knowing which plants, and that was a learning experience, but just knowing, you know, which plants need that extra fertilizer, you know, the heavy feeders, the broccoli and the tomatoes too. Yeah, that's pretty simple. I love growing carrots too, though. Carrots are one of my favorites as well. That's my favorite aroma in the garden is a fresh picked carrot. There's nothing like that. So I think mine is probably peppers. I try to grow peppers as long as I can, even in the Mm -hmm. winter, I'll try to bring them inside and put a light above them. What's your favorite pepper? So I like really spicy food. I don't know. I, I really like the scotch bonnet peppers because I'll make a little sauce with them. But anything that makes you sweat when you eat it, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say the scotch bonnet, 
I really like. I'm not grown those. No, they're great. They get tall. I don't think people really realize they'll plant them and they'll think they get the same size as other peppers. But I have some scotch bonnets outside right now that are probably three feet tall. Oh, wow. And then there's another one I like. I think it's called the garden salsa pepper. It probably goes by a bunch of different names, but it makes great salsa like the name says. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's all the questions I really had for you. Okay. But... I'm going to try something called the rapid fire section where I just ask you three random questions that just popped in my head and I wrote them down while we were doing this. All right. Here we go. What is your favorite type of food? Gosh, um, I like Italian. Okay. Good answer. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? (laughs) I traveled once to the Galapagos Islands. You went to that was pretty amazing. I wouldn't mind living there. I'm actually kind of jealous right now. You went to, I can't ask. I'm going to start asking you questions about it. So we're going to wait and we'll just continue. We'll have to have that conversation later. Do you like dogs or cats? Both. Both. Okay. That was actually my three questions. <laughs> I'm going to have to work on that rapid fire section. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. I thought they were going to be something really hard. Those were not hard. <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe it'll evolve to that later. All right. So go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you online so that we can get more schools with your program. All right. I have a website, which is readytogrowgardens.com. There's a Ready to Grow Gardens in Florida. That's not me. I'm in Tomball, Texas. So yeah. So Ready to Grow Gardens and I have on Instagram and Facebook. It's at Ready, no two, at Ready Grow Gardens. And then Twitter is slightly different. It's at Ready Grow Garden, no S. Okay. That's Twitter. So for everybody listening, I will link all of her social media in the show notes below. But I want to say thank you, Stephanie, for taking the time out of your day to hop on the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. I'm excited to have finally got to meet you after watching you all these years. So it was great. Love the work you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. And keep doing Great things at schools. Thank you. So that you can end up at my kid's school. Okay. That would be great. Done. (laughs) All right. So have a great day. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email. I grow at Big City Gardener and check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it.